Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're chatting to Bruno Major, so welcome to Headliner Radio. How are you? Hello, I'm really well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a strange time, isn't it? Um, sort of easing out of lockdown at the moment. Slowly but surely, yeah. I, I feel like maybe we're easing out of it a bit more than we should be, to be honest. Yes. Um, I've, I've been at my par- parents for a little bit and uh, I got back to London a couple of weeks ago and it just feels like everything's completely normal um, and maybe we should be a bit more like socially distant but um, yeah it's nice it's nice to be back in the city with people yeah I'll bet I think it's it seems more of the case that people just want it to be back to normal and it's sort of a bit of like putting your fingers in your ears isn't it it is. We're ostriches with our head in the sand as the sandstorm flies overhead. <laughs> we very much are. And um, ha- have you been keeping busy during lockdown, being creative? Have you um, been on the banana bread? What, what have you been up to? What was that whole thing about banana bread? It was just one of those weird phases. It was Tiger King, there was toilet roll time, wasn't there? And then just everyone was making banana bread. I didn't quite get to that level, Wait, what's, actually. What toilet roll time? Oh, you know, everyone was hoarding it and pasta. They just went mental for it, didn't they? Um, yeah, I know. Early I know. lockdown, remember um, that. <laughs> uh, what have I been doing? Well, to be honest, um, 2019 was like a super intense year for me. I was recording an album at the same time as touring. And I was due to have two weeks off for Christmas and then go straight back into touring for the second album. And I was feeling a bit burnt out. So in a way, although obviously it, was te- it is a terrible thing that's been happening and uh, wouldn't have wished it on the world by any stretch of the imagination, but on a personal level, I, it was quite nice to, to have two months um, to be able to relax and uh, mm-hmm. be with my family and recalibrate and started writing a few more songs. Um, yeah, it was quite nice, really. Okay. And you mentioned earlier, you obviously um, you moved in with your parents, did you, for the lockdown? So out of London. Yeah, well, I mean, my flat in London is, is pretty small and obviously London activities are sort of like pubs and restaurants and yeah. and stuff and that was all closed so I would have been locked up in a in a little box room. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I went to my parents' place in the country. They've got like a, you know, house with nice fresh air and that was, yeah, it was lovely to see them actually. Yeah, I'll bet because those people obviously haven't seen their parents until perhaps more recently. Exactly, exactly. And um, obviously, you're usually touring loads, aren't you? So um, what's it been like, um, you know, to have all this time at home? Or have you just kind of embraced it? Because, you know, what else can you do and taking that time for yourself? Yeah, I- I've really embraced it. I mean, it was really sad that my, my tours all got cancelled, but then everyone's tours all got cancelled. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can't really feel that hard done by. And it's important to keep things in perspective and realise that people are dying and there are more important things in life than live music. Um, yeah. So it was strange because especially having made a new album and normally you make the album and that's sort of like the, the worky bit. And then when you go on tour, it's like the celebration, it's the party to celebrate all your hard work. So it was, it, it felt, it felt like I never have had the relief of going on tour and celebrating the album, but I'm sure that um, it will happen eventually. Yeah. It'll just be related, it, I guess. And then were you on tour when, when everything kind of got cancelled or were you in a in between sort of gigs or something at the time? 
Um, yeah, I was on tour. We did we did one we did one tour the UK and Europe, and then I did uh, I did a Java Jazz Festival in in uh, Indonesia, Jakarta, mm-hmm. which ended up being the last show, um, which was an amazing show actually. I'm really I'm really hard on myself, and I never come off stage and think that was amazing. I'm always just like I hit a note that was flat in that mm-hmm. song, or I felt like that guitar solo could have been tighter, or whatever. But that was one of the only shows I've come off and thought that was really great. Well done, Bruno. Um, and then that ended up being the last one. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Maybe you praised yourself too much then. <laughs> I hope you didn't jinx it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was karma for being big-headed. I think that's just uh, maybe it's the Brit in you, isn't it? You know, we don't like to self-congratulate too much. It's, uh, yeah, we, we let other people do it and then, um, you know, just say, no, 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 that's not us. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's the Brit in you there. Yeah, I think as soon as also, I'm, but like, I think if you ever start thinking that you're good, then you stop getting better. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good for growth, isn't it? It's good to be humble anyway, because you could be the complete opposite. And um, yeah, no, nobody wants that from people. And there's a few people we can think about there. So yeah, it's good to be humble, I think. And um, you've, um, I've seen you've spent a lot of lockdown, obviously, leading up to your new release, which we'll talk uh, a bit about a bit more later. Um, and um, you've been really focusing, kind of connecting with your audience, you know, via social media, etc. And um, I've seen that you've, um, you've got about 40,000 new fans um, following your Instagram since March. So that is a significant jump there. How have you managed that? Wow, I didn't know that. How do you know that? Oh, I've been, no, I've, I was told by your team. Oh, was I? Wow, yeah. well, that's good, isn't Congratulations. it? Congratulations. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, isn't it? Um, everyone's so so concerned with numbers all the time. Um, I'm I'm very aware of that. You know, every time I always see it scrolling down Instagram and follow, I follow a lot of artists, and it's always like, oh, my my singles had this many million streams, or I've reached this many followers, and just the, like constant need to validation and then it and then it just says well you know what about the people that don't have that many followers or haven't had that many streams does that mm-hmm. make them less worthwhile or less valuable as human beings so I, I try really hard to like not define my success by numerical checkpoints mm-hmm. um and you know when I, when I made this album I decided to say to myself that if I managed to make an album that I was proud of, I would consider it to be a success, yeah. no matter how it did. And I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it because, you know, even if three people listen to it, I can still be really proud of myself and say um, that I've, I've made a successful album. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's a hard game, I suppose, especially for artists on social media where I'm guessing there's a lot of pressure to get more fans and more likes and something and, you know, how many likes does a picture get? And you sort of, if you think about it too deeply, yeah. you think, what does that actually mean? What is Absolutely, my life? Absolutely, man. You know, like, then then you're just, like, doing TikTok dance routines before you know it. <laughs> Have you reached that stage yet or not? I haven't, actually, Keith. No, thank you. Thank you for calling me by my correct name there, Bruno. Um, <laughs> it's my alter ego for our listeners. I'm Keith um, on the weekend. Very good. Can I, have a new, can I have a new name? Yeah, well, what would you like to be? I think you can pick your own name. Um, Gertrude. Gertrude. I don't know why, but Shirley came to mind for me, but I like Gertrude. I like it on you, Bruno. Shirley, I love it. 
don't call me Shirley. I don't know why that came into my head, but I haven't even watched that film for ages. But um, I see you um, you were doing loads of online sessions as well to raise funds for, you know, Who's COVID-19 um, Solidarity Response Fund, which is, you know, really an amazing cause. So what was it like to kind of perform? I'm guessing they were, you know, you just performing in front of your phone, essentially. So what's it like replacing, you know, actual people with uh, performing to a screen? Um. It was something that I wanted to try, and I'm glad I did it, and people had asked me to do it, so I was very happy to oblige. Um, and it was also really cool to, you know, in my own little way, um, give some money to COVID. I know I'm not Lady Gaga, and I couldn't get out and John's perform and make £5 million, but maybe I made enough to buy a ventilator for someone, which was a nice feeling. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do sort of generally think that a live show is essentially a shared moment, a fleeting ephemeral joint experience where you're breathing the same air, like artist and audience, and sharing energy um, and meeting in real life. And that is something that is never going to be able to be replicated by a screen. Mm. So I don't know if I'm going to do any more of those shows like that. Um, I think, you know, I'm focusing on making more music, which is designed to be listened to, you know, in isolation. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's what I think about that. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's, it's something strange to adjust to, I guess. But it was, um, I think it's, no, it's great. Everyone's doing their part, aren't they? You know, no one, not everyone can be Lady Gaga and, like you say, roping out on John. But, um, you know, if everyone does a bit, it's got to add up to something, isn't it? Definitely. <laughs> and um, so going back a little bit, um, obviously you've been interested in music for a long time. Um, when did you first start to think about, you know, pursuing it a bit more seriously? Um, it was when I was about 16 and I was doing, I was doing my A-levels. Um, and a really uh, close family friend uh, passed away. And I just remember thinking, fuck it, I'm just going to do music because that's what I love doing. Mm. And I might not be here tomorrow, so I'm just going to do this. Um, But I always knew, I always knew that I I loved words. I loved writing and I I sort of flirted with the idea of becoming a writer. Um, But I eventually chose music. But it wasn't until I wrote a song that I really found my sort of my passion within music and it was the combination of words and music together that like really excites me. Mm. Okay. And, um, your first big break, what would you say that was when you look back now? Um, honestly, I don't, I don't think there is such a thing as a big break. Okay. I think, I think, I think music, being a musician is just, is like constant little breaks. Um, you know, you meet your manager or you, uh, sign a deal or you don't sign a deal or you go on this radio station or this TV show or you know play this gig it's just like you're constantly doing things all the time um, and also you're, you're you know the, the the barometer of success is constantly moving like for me growing up the idea of being a musician and earning a living at all was would be my idea of success and then once you you get that and then you're like oh well actually I want to be a a session musician and be on a big stage and you get that and then it's like, oh, I want to be a songwriter and oh, I want to be an artist and then now I'm an artist and it's like, oh, I want to play this stage or I want to, you know, I don't know. This, this, you never, you're never happy. It's the same as what we were talking about before. Like, 
So like, if you, as soon as you start thinking that you're good at something, you stop getting better. And I think as soon as you think that you've made it, you probably rest on your laurels and become content, which is something that I'm not going to do. Yeah, no, yeah, I can definitely get that from talking to you. It's more of a, yeah, like you say, a lot of hard work paying off gradually, bit by bit, and you're building up to something rather than, yeah, one big event or something, I suppose, happening. So, um, yeah, I know you've had um, a lot of those um, things over the years. And um, in 2018, you did a UK arena tour opening for Sam Smith. So what an incredible um, tour to be part of with an amazing artist. What was it like doing that? That was amazing. I mean, Sam and I go back quite a long way. Um, I was friends with Sam sort of like before it all kicked off with him mm-hmm. and was aware of his exceptional talent. Um, and, you know, he, we, we, we ended up signing, signing record deals to the same place. Um, and then, you know, I watched Sam's career, like really this incredible trajectory. And um, it was really sweet of him. You know, when I, when he asked me to be to come on tour with him, um, of course I said yes, and it was yeah, it was a great experience, and I'm good friends with all of his band and and stuff, so it was really great. It was funny because my music is like definitely jazz, and it's definitely designed to be like listened to in quite an intimate setting, and mm-hmm. um, probably suits like jazz clubs. And then I'm playing in front of twenty five thousand people at the O2 Arena, um, so it was a bit of a learning curve, but um, yeah, definitely won't forget it. Yeah, what an amazing tour. I imagine it must be really intimidating, though, to be a support for anyone, though, because you're the, the act that, you know, what that's sort of um, keeping the crowd warm, aren't you, while they're waiting for the person they paid to see. But, I mean, yeah, obviously it, it pays it off. What, what's that like, then? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, exa- it's exactly like that. It's, um, you know, you have to go and win them over because they're not there to see you. Um, whereas when it's your show, you know, it's yours to lose. Um, but I always go into like any, any situation in life, I try and go in with an open heart and an open mind. And, um, I, I firmly believe that if you, if you expound love, then you will receive it back in return. Um, it's only logical, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, that's a really nice way to think about it as well, actually. And um, you're someone that's been, um, you've, you've spoken about this, you've uh, been signed and then gone down the independent route and, you know, like many other artists, hugely favouring being independent. So obviously it's, um, for a lot of people, it's, they consider it the best way to release music. You know, obviously you have more control um, and importantly, yeah. as you've pointed out, um, it stops the label taking 80%. So um, tell us a little bit about your experiences here and, um, you know, going from perhaps being signed to then independent, having all that freedom. So I, I I signed the record deal. I mean, it was it was a while ago now. It was seven or eight years ago, and um, at the time, that was really before Spotify and Apple Music and Deezer and all these DSPs had taken over the the listen listening experience of music so completely. Um, so at that you know at that point, it was very important to sign the deal, release a big radio single, get on you know Radio One or whatever, and then and then go and do a TV show, and that was you know, that was kind of how artists broke. Whereas now it's, there's still an element of that, but I think now it's much more important to have a, a big social media presence and to have um, people listening to your music on Spotify and on Apple music. And that's how artists are breaking now. Um, so it's a bit of a different universe that we exist in. And I don't think now it's beneficial to be signed to a record label because 
all record labels are going to do is pay a radio plugger to put your music on the radio or go into Spotify and, and pitch you for a playlist. They still have to go through the same process that independent artists have to go through. Mm. Um, and, you know, in exchange for those services, they're taking 80% of your income, which is frankly robbery. And, you know, in any other industry, it would be considered ridiculous. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've become an independent artist and I really enjoy it and I really love running my own business. I'm very proud of, you know, having my own record label and running the team myself and making all these decisions and, and like, you know, whilst I'm, I'm playing venues that are 4,000 and I have 4 million monthly listeners, if I was signed to a major label, I would be happy to be playing five times, if I'd be playing arenas and I'd be, I'd have five times the amount of listeners I do on Spotify in order to make the same amount of money that I'm making now. So, mm. and in, and in, and in doing so, I would give up all of my creative control. So, it's, you know, it's really a no brainer for me. There are obviously like, there are artists that it works for fantastically. If you look at people like Lewis Capaldi, you look at Dua Lipa, there are undoubtedly major label artists who are a huge success. And when it happens and they put the money in at the right time and it's the right artists who are willing to do and say and produce the kind of music that is expected of them, then it is incredibly successful. But I think for the vast majority of people, and certainly for artists like me who have a very clear idea of what it is they want to do and aren't willing to compromise their artistry, one iota then I think being independent is the way to do it in 2020 yeah and I think a lot of artists will agree and you've um you've highlighted as well that a lot of people don't know sort of touched on it a bit you know for every 1 million streams you could get you know 2,500 pounds so the people on the major labels they're giving 80% of that to them so you know it puts it in perspective doesn't it when someone says they've got a million streams um if you think about what they might actually Mm. earn from that it's quite deceptive isn't it yeah, it really is. Mm. It really is. And um, you, you mentioned your own label there. It's called Harbour, isn't it? When did you found that? So I started well, we, I started a label with my manager to put my first album through. Um, and then we actually ended up making another one called Harbour, which I now put all of my music through. And I also, we've, we have um, an artist called Eloise that we signed, um, who I also produce. Mm-hmm. And she, I mean, that's going really well as well. Um, it's just a very exciting thing to be doing. It's a bit like football manager. You ever play football manager? I haven't myself, but um, I've got a younger brother, and when we were younger, he was obsessed with it, and possibly still is as an adult. It's brilliant. It's just like playing a computer game, yep. um, except you know it's real life, and the ramifications are extremely severe. Yep. <laughs> nice analogy there. <laughs> Your songwriting then. So in terms of what inspires your music, um, maybe that's changed over the years or, you know, naturally developed. What what kind of things inspire you? Um, uh, can, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, can you? Okay, cool. Um, I think the, I'm inspired by everything um, without being vague. But I have, you know, I have just like the notes in my iPad, in my iPhone that I write in. If I see a line in a book or a, quote from a film or an advert or a conversation that I overhear or something that somebody says to me, you know, in a, in a profound moment in my life, I write it all down. And then every now and then one of those ideas will, will send my mind into a spiral and create a song. Um, I don't, whether it's changed over time. I think, I think so. I, I read somewhere that there are four stages of, of being a man. Um, and it's like the child, the lover, the soldier, 
and the, the elder. And I definitely remember being a kid and I, I definitely felt as a, when I started writing songs that I was the lover and all I cared about was, you know, being a musician and writing these, writing these songs and experiencing love and I didn't have a pot to piss and I didn't care. Mm. And I do feel like since making that first album and, and, you know, starting the label and everything that's happened, I've, um, I've hardened a little bit and I've, I, I feel like I probably transitioned into being a soldier. And I think that's why I called this album to let a good thing die. It was the, it was the, the end of a creative arc. It was the end of a moment in my life. It was all one feeling. And I, looking back on it retrospectively, I think it was, the, you know, the end of the, 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 the musings of the lover. And I think artists, you know, the album three is going to be written by the soldier most probably. Okay. Um, and in terms of your songwriting then, what do you have a usual kind of process or is it always different? Do you get perhaps initial idea and then perhaps go to the guitar? Um, how do you usually find that you create songs the best? Um, there's like, there's no pattern or reason to it whatsoever. I, sometimes I write things down in like 20 minutes and it feels like I'm just remembering something that happened um, that already exists. And then sometimes I spend two years sort of chipping away at this idea. Um, there's, um, yeah, there doesn't seem to be any like algorithm for it whatsoever. But generally speaking, I start with the words first. Um, I find that words carry the melodies. You know, if I think about um, <clears throat> the most beautiful thing, like the most beautiful thing that I've never seen, that melody is within the, the words itself. Um, whereas if I start with a melody that goes bling, 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 all I can think is like, um, I ate something nice. I, just, I can't find, <laughs> I can't, I can't find profound stuff in melodies. Okay, for some reason. Okay. It's always there looking around. Okay, well, um, um, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, although some people might write songs about eating something nice, but yeah, perhaps not the most profound. Um, so the way you're doing it is yeah, kind of uh, working for you. Yummy, 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 <laughs> yummy, yummy, yummy. I've got love in my tummy. Yeah, a classic. Um, <laughs> and um, your yeah. your debut record, going back to that one, so that was a song for every moon, uh, was recorded and released independently, of course, and it, it gained a lot of word of mouth momentum, didn't it? So I know we're not being hung up on numbers, but this one did amass over four hundred million streams. Um, so you know, it's, it's still worth, worth shouting out. It's quite a number, yeah. yeah. Um, and I know um, that the key single off it easily was certified gold in North America. So that obviously did amazingly mm. well being independent. So you've clearly tapped into something mm. there that's really working for you so um what was it like yeah. working on this record and what what do you think when you look back on that time now and how well it's done i think um i really firmly believe that um if something is really good it will be heard mm. and by that i don't mean you know ed sheeran made something really good and now he's playing in stadiums all around the world and some of my jazz guitar heroes made something really good and they're playing to, you know, jazz clubs of 50 people. Mm. So it doesn't mean that what Ed Sheeran has made is better than what they made. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that what they made is better than what Ed Sheeran makes. It just, it means that different art has a different commercial trajectory and will find its natural home based on basically its sort of um, compatibility with, people in general um so my music has 
the compatibility that it has and it found its home with the amount of people's hearts that it found. Um, and I'm really grateful that, you know, it found enough hearts that I'm able to make another album. And um, I think the, the reason that I made an album in the first place at all was just because I had some stuff to say and I tried to make music that was as honest and, um, and as like from my soul as possible. And I think that's probably what people liked about it because it wasn't designed to go on the radio and it wasn't designed to be a certain tempo and it wasn't designed to be cool. Mm-hmm. All it was was just thoughts and reflections of a, of a guy who really, really, really likes music. And um, that's the same ethos and approach I've tried to carry into my second album. Um, you know, although it becomes different once you've got an album out and you've got, um, and basically an industry forms around you, you know, as soon as you start making money, you start finding people attached to you. You have lawyers, managers, live agents, PR companies, you have, you have people doing your diaries and it becomes an industry around you and then suddenly you start to feel pressure that maybe I do need to have a single that has this many streams so that I can continue this ball that has, has naturally started to roll um, but I've tried to eschew those thoughts and just concentrate on making the music that I love because I feel like that's only really the only way that I will continue the journey in the way that I started yeah and I think it's the best way like you said to kind of stay sane as well you can only do the music you want to do otherwise you're going to get so distracted aren't you by you know trying to write some catchy jingly kind of song to get on I don't know the the A-list on Radio 1 or something you won't be doing what is at the core of your actual music and sound would you? Exactly. Um, Okay well let's have a little listen to uh, the single we mentioned there so this is Easily so this is one of the songs obviously which helped that record do as well as it did so let's have a little listen to this. That it wasn't meant to be Call it quits Call it destiny Just because it won't come easily Doesn't mean we shouldn't try We had a good thing going lately might not have always been a fairy tale, but you know, and I know that they ain't real. I'll take the truth over the story. You might have tried my patience greatly, but I'm not about to let us fail. I'll be the wind picking up your sail But won't you do something for me Don't you tell me that it was meant to be Call it quits, call it destiny this song obviously has resonated with so many of your fans. Um, what what do you think it is about this song that they respond so well to? I have absolutely no idea, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Excellent it's answer. So funny. There's, there's some songs that you release and you're like, right, this one's definitely going to connect with everyone. And then it's just absolute tumbleweed. And with Easily, I put that one out and... I, I was doing a song every month. I was recording and releasing a song every month. And that month, I spent two weeks working on this other tune, which I called Happy Place. Realized after two weeks that it, after two weeks that it was completely trash. Oh. 
and I, I only had a week left to put out the next one. So Pharaoh and I, the co-producer, got drunk one night and went into the studio and just recorded that and <laughs> woke up the next morning. And they're like, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, we mixed it in about an hour and then I sent it off and, and went off to New York and then it came out um, and still nobody really cared about it. And then gradually it just sort of started finding more homes and more people listened to it and it just got more and more like popular and then uh, and now it's just had like an absurd amount of listens. Um, and everywhere I go and every show that I play, when I play that song, everyone gets their phones out and records it. And, you know, I didn't even think the lyrics were that good, to be honest. And that line, just because it won't come easily doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That's the, the lyric that has been quoted on Instagram in the Instagram memes and stuff. And I, I think partly it's probably because it's generally a, a positive message. It's a message of love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's vague enough that it can be applied to an infinite number of personal situations. Um, also, the, the mix is accidentally absurdly loud because I had no idea what I was doing. Okay. Um, and I, when you turn it on Spotify, it's louder than everything else. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know, but I'm proud of it. And um, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful piece of music that I, that I love very much. And you know, it's great that, that it's found um, homes in the way that it has. Yeah, definitely. I love that story behind it as well. Just completely honest about that, aren't you? So, um, yeah, well, sometimes things come, you know, people can write songs in five minutes. It could be the the biggest hit, you know, if you will, of their career. So, yeah, I think that's great. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you've got thinking is the worst thing you can do when it comes to creativity. You overthink stuff and you just second guess yourself and you end up writing rubbish. Um, And as soon as you turn your brain off and just feel it a bit, um, that's when the magic happens. Mm. Exactly. And um, on to your new record. So you very recently released your second record, To Let A Good Thing Die, um, which I've seen is at, at the core. It's sort of for the fans. So um, how so? At the core, it's what, sorry? Um, for the fans. You know, it's sort of a, a record for the fans. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that statement. Oh. Um, I mean, it's... it's um, I don't think I wrote it for anything. Um, I really just, uh, you know, approached it all in the same way and just kind of let whatever happens come out naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think when, when you make, when you make um, any kind of art, whilst you're making it, it belongs to you. And once you release it, it doesn't belong to you anymore and it belongs to the people that listen to it. And, it means something to them and it can mean something different to each person that listens to it. Um, so yeah, it's for, it's for whoever wants to listen to it, um, whether they're a fan yet or not. Mm, Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. And, um, do you find it strange, you know, you must craft and work away a long time on these albums. Do you almost, you know, have it in the back of your mind that you forget that so many people could potentially hear it and then it's just going to be out there one day, you know, you can't do any more edits. What's it like, um, sort of adapting to that? thought process um yeah you can like you just at some point you just have to stop fiddling with it mm. um i'm i'm like a real perfectionist and i can definitely like fiddle with it too much that it starts messing it up so that's why i have um co-producer pharaoh who i work with who 
he's very good at saying like, you know, we should leave this now and we should move on to this. Or like sometimes, you know, I'll do something that I love and then a few weeks later I'll think it's crap again and he'll be like, no, 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 that is, that is really good. We should leave it. Um, so I think, I think also doing my first album, the way that I did it and, and doing a song each month and having little time frames for everything forced me to, to learn to paint in broader strokes. Um, so when it came, when it came to this album, um, you know, I was, I'd already done one, so it helps with the, with the letting go process. And what about in terms of sort of the themes of the album? Did anything emerge um, naturally just whilst you were creating it, or is it touching on a you know a few different things? Yeah, the themes. I mean, I don't know. I, I do feel that it's become very apparently apparent to me, especially in the, in the light of recent events, that there are only certain things that I can really speak on with great authority. Mm-hmm. You know, as 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 like a straight white, you know, cisgendered, heterosexual, relatively affluent male mm. from from England, I I don't really have a relevant political voice in 2020, um, but I do have the authority to speak about love, and I have the authority to speak about death. I have the authority to speak about my thoughts and feelings on the ephemerality of existence and the, the tragedy of loss. Um, and so those are the things that I write about. Um, they are the things that I think about. Mm. I think about love and I think about life and death and they are naturally the things that I end up writing my songs about. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You're writing about, you know, what's in your world, you know, it's as simple as that, isn't it? And what you can comment on. Exactly. Exactly. So you've just released um, your new video for a highlight track off the album. So I'll sleep when I'm older. So actually, let's let's just start by listening to a bit of this, so when um, we can hear, um, you know, how the new one sounds, and then we can get into, you know, the inspiration behind this particular song. So this is a bit of I'll sleep when I'm older. My mind and follow my heart. See the cosmos unfolding and know I'm a part. this one um does this one have you know as interesting a story as the last one did it come to you quite quickly as well or does it have a more um kind of normal songwriting experience to it no this one actually took the longest out of any song 
on the album. Oh, okay. I start, started writing it with my friend Dan McDougall, uh, who also wrote Old Fashioned on the album, mm-hmm. and he wrote There With a Friend and Home with me on the last one. Um, but he, we sort of had some chords and a basic melodic idea, and then I went to LA, met up with Emily Albert, who wrote Easily with me on the old album, and we wrote the lyrics, and then kind of came back to London again, changed the time signature, um, made this demo. And then I took that demo into the studio with Pharaoh um, and spent like months and months working on it, made a couple of different versions um, until it finally got to the point where it is now. Um, but I, I, I'm glad I've kind of stuck with it because it's, um, it's a cool one. Mm, yeah, yeah it, it's paid off. I know you've said before you can spend a bit too much time, as many people do, you know, trying to mess with things and tweak them. And you could almost never be ready because um, people are such perfectionists, a lot of artists, aren't they? But it's, it's nice that you feel that you did get to a good point on this one. And um, it was filmed, I know um, obviously our listeners can't see the video, but it was shot at London's Earth in Hackney. Um, so was this um, recently then? Because in, in the video it's just you and all the other musicians, isn't it? Um, yeah, we shot that. We shot that during my last tour before the lockdown, um, the UK and Europe tour. We shot that. It was the day before my gig at uh, in Hackney, so that was the the, the stage of. Uh, but we we had a, a day before to like dress to like dress rehearsal or whatever. Um, um, so we shot that then. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you'd done it during lockdown somehow because it's completely empty, obviously, isn't it? Um, I wasn't sure if it was done before or you'd kind of made it work <laughs> in between. <laughs> No, no, it was hard. It was quite hard. It was, it was, but I think it was best to avoid doing anything like that. You know, it's not really like you shouldn't leave by example and all that, shouldn't you? No, yes, exactly. Um, and um, just on that, what what is it like to release, you know, music during lockdown and with, you know, everything else that's going on in the world at the moment? Is It must be a really strange time um, uh, to be doing it. Yeah, it's really strange. Um it was obviously, you know, as an independent artist, my main two forms of promo are, are like touring and social media, basically. Mm. Um, so one of those has been entirely decimated. Um, and But that's the same for everybody. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky in a sense that I've, I've never been the kind of artist who needs like a huge hit single, you know, that goes on the radio. Um, I just make like albums of, of music and people find it and listen to it. And um, I, th- I think in that sense, it's, it's quite like a safe trajectory that I'm following because all I've got, mm. all in theory that I've got to do is make sure the music's of a certain level and, you know, everything's going to be okay. Um, I, I do also think that like, I'm not making EDM dance music. Um, it's not like, you know, people are at home and they're still listening to it. Um, it's the kind of music that you listen to when you're at home. So I've been very fortunate in that respect as well that, you know, people are still listening, basically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like you say, it's exactly the kind of thing people would listen to at home. They're not, um, you know, going to be in clubs, obviously, because they can't. So, um, yeah, it's kind of um, worked out nicely, I suppose, in a strange way. It's nice. I think it's like I get a lot of people messaging me saying thank you, you know, for releasing during this time because your music really helps my anxiety and um yeah maybe there's a, a, a part of it that's quite nice as well mm. no it is nice because you know we're turning to the arts at the moment more than ever everyone's 
you know, at home listening to music or watching films, Netflix, whatever. Loads of people are furloughed, aren't they? So it's nice to have that there. Everyone's everyone's seen everything. Like, (laughs) I saw a friend the other day. We met up socially distanced, of course, in the park in the day. Yeah. We just like all we were talking about was just like what films we've been watching for the last two months. Mm. So you've completed Netflix, I'm guessing, by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, I've completed like four <laughs> times over. Okay. Congratulations. That and football manager, you're Thanks. just getting through everything. <laughs> okay. Um what have you got planned? I know it's a bit of a tricky thing to maybe answer at the moment, but um or maybe vague plans can we say for the rest of the year. Are you gonna continue, you know, perhaps thinking about writing some more music? Like what what have you got coming up? Definitely. Um I'm going to make a new album at some point, um, but not for a while. I need to. I need to recalibrate and reset, and you know, I need, I'm going to just. I need to like. I need some new experiences and some new um, inspiration. I feel like I can't make. You know, I love the albums that I've made, but I can't make another album that sounds like that now. Mm-hmm. I have. I need a fresh direction and a fresh feeling and a fresh and a fresh um, aesthetic and I, yeah I don't know what's going to happen to be honest but I'm very excited about it I can't wait to make it mm. um, but it's it's going to be different and it might be a little bit it might be a little while before it comes out okay well um, I suppose it's great that everyone's got that time at the moment um, artist wise you know to maybe have a bit more time to play with to create something new and you know be inspired again I suppose like you said you don't want to do a copy of uh, the last work that you did you've got to come up with something else you know to kind of evolve it so um yeah we look forward to yeah. hearing that then as as with all the fans I'm guessing thank you right thank you so much Bruno for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and um you know we wish you the best uh, with everything and uh, we can't wait to see what you're coming out with next thank you so much and thank you for your time Oh, you're very welcome. You're welcome back anytime, Bruno. Thank you. All right. Um, thanks. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.